What's up, my guy? Do I have you? You got me. Can you hear me? I can. Um, are we also doing the video portion? Um, so I think that's going to have to suspend that because I'm on my, my regular laptop, not on a Mac. I think if I was okay. on a Mac, it'd be easier to, to get both going at the same time. Okay. To like sync up the audio, but I don't, I'm so not. So I can take my pants off now? Uh, I mean, if you had them on in the first place, that was a bad decision on your part, but, um, <laughs> I, I had a hanging dong segment, uh, going on. So but, yeah. <laughs> you said you had a hanging dong segment. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just hanging brain. That's not a crime. If it's a crime. Lock me up. <laughs> uh, so this is a good start. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I'm um, okay. Well, um, I'm going to have to adjust my expectations for the pod now. Now that there's no video. Yeah, my girlfriend can continue doing her makeup right next to me, or she can moisturizing. She put she a can. shirt on for no reason. That was that's uh, allowed, but not preferred. Uh, anyway, um, all right. So we are currently recording on this app that I have. I'm using for this, but anyway, just uh, we'll jump right in. Cool. So, uh, point of the podcast, um, like countless others, this podcast is revolves around discussion, chatting with friends, coworkers, relatives, all people probably smarter than me, and definitely with different perspectives than me, because we all have a unique view of the world in the uh, individual spaces we occupy and exist in. It's also about shooting the shit and sharing ridiculous conversations that Greg and I have definitely had in the past. And uh, I have with, or I have had with hopefully the people I'm able to speak to on this platform. And uh, from those conversations, the sometimes even more outrageous headspaces we find ourselves in as a result. And just for the sake of continuity, going to try to separate this out into two distinct sections the first one being more you know, i guess serious might be the word or deep thought provoking hopefully and then the second part where we step out of that sort of uh, ufc cage of heaviness and just reminisce about how incredibly dumb we are or laugh about nonsense and follow whatever stream of consciousness might evolve from there so despite the fact that it separates the two parts, the goal of the entire, uh, this entire discussion is to um, find the different ways of thinking about our individual or communal challenges. And in that, maybe discover a new strategy to overcome them. And then hopefully, focused on part two, yeah, do that somewhere else, find some humor uh, in our lives because I found especially in my life, that no matter how screwed up our lives seem, uh, if we can somehow find laughter in it today, then we can sleep, recover, and uh, face that neg- negativity or those challenges or uh, whatever's um, confronting us in our lives head on again tomorrow. Uh, so the first per- person who you already heard from that I'm speaking to now is, um, 
um, to do this experiment with me is Greg Manakis. Greg, hey everybody, a, how you doing? Greg is a musician, educator, uh, student, writer. That was from me, not from Greg, and uh, <laughs> and also for me, one of my closest friends. So with that, this is episode one of Wavelengths with my boy Greg. How we doing, Greg? I'm happy to happy to be here, man. Um, I'm sitting, so just to kind of paint you a picture, I know we don't have the, the video going, but paint you a picture of where I am. Um, I've been holed up in my girlfriend's apartment, so I'm currently sitting at her makeup station and her moisturizing station. So for that entire time that you were just talking right now, I had my girlfriend directly to my right applying, I think it was castor oil on her uh, eyebrows to kind of thicken them up a little bit. Castor oil, I'll have to, I'll have to write that down. I, uh, I have thin eyebrows, so that might be useful in my Yeah, in my I've, been, I've been meaning to talk to you. Have you about to that? talk to you about that? About, That's about disappointing that you've been meeting. The one thing you've been meaning to talk to me about is castor oil. That's uh, that's not that's not great. Doesn't make me feel great about our friendship or me as a person. You know all the other things going on in our country. I said I want to start this podcast, broaching the subject I've been meaning to talk to this kid about since freshman year, since the first time I saw him enter a dorm room dancing to Soldier Boy. We need to talk about your eyebrows uh, <laughs> and how castor oil can fix okay. the problem. How about, you know what? We're going to go ahead and put a pin in that for part <laughs> two. I don't know if castor oil was the main problem with my soldier boy dance. Uh, not that I think there was a problem at all. It was a phenomenal rendition. Uh, but, you know, we can discuss that. Um, part two. That's a part two. That's a, that's, that, that's, a, that's a part two segue. Um Actually, there's a really good segue point there that I'm going to write down. Uh, okay, um, so we're going to start numerically at part one. Um, I'm with you. I got the outline right here. He's got the outline. I, Greg was prepped for this. He was given a brief, uh, so he's not flying totally blind here. Uh, but part one, we are going to um, – well, I don't know if I want to preface it too much, but uh, – I wrote something um, that was, I just, I mean, I whipped, I read a tweet, I think it was, or maybe I saw it on Instagram, whatever it was, a short piece that um, President, former President Obama wrote about just the current challenges we're facing it in America. Specifically, I don't have the quote in front of me, but they were about, um, I guess the ramifications of, of the COVID health scare or crisis, whatever you want to call it, and um, the um, well-publicized George Floyd, rightfully so, uh, the George Floyd incident, uh, or maybe better phrase, the murder of George Floyd. Um, so I guess we'll kick off part one um, with, with me reading what I wrote and sent to Greg and Greg was actually the only person I sent it to. Um, and I guess that probably informs you a little bit about my relationship with Greg. Um, but just to give you a little bit of context for this, uh, this, the, I guess what I wrote. So you're not obviously 
well, all the listeners right now definitely, or potential listeners of this right now definitely know me, but maybe at some point people won't. Um, I'm 31 year old white male, uh, the family full of uh, military, um, active duty or veterans, uh, police, local police, and state troopers, um, and first responders. My wife's actually a nurse here in Boston. Um, I've always been treated fairly and in several cases uh, very leniently by police in uh, my interactions with them. Uh, Things changed a little bit when I got to college. Until then, uh, I had very little interaction with people outside of my socioeconomic or racial profile. Uh, very tight in the family and blessed with incredible parents as role models. Um, you know, I, I have encountered different individual struggles and instances of suffering in my life, but I've always had a very strong network of support throughout them all. And that network was uh, very intense or, you know, their main motivation was me overcoming whatever challenges I was facing in that particular instance. So I guess just with that as context, um, I'll read what I wrote uh, after reading that tweet from Obama. So um, I wore an American flag cap today. I was almost hoping for someone in my very diverse community to confront me as to why I was wearing it because I wanted an opportunity to explain why. I am not proud of the way my state and federal government has handled the COVID-19 crisis, nor am I proud of how the way in which certain protectors of our American freedoms have attempted to enforce our laws. I'm embarrassed that my country has prioritized political gain over rational analysis, and particular citizens and law enforcement have egregiously misused their allocated power, allocated power, to abuse and murder those they swore to protect. The American flag represents the ideals, the human rights we reserve, and the blood that our past, present, and future brothers and sisters have and will continue to shed to protect them. I wear the US flag openly in confidence that our citizens, that the citizens of our country will stand resolute in our commitment to the values on which our country was founded, the intellectual, social, and economic progress we've made, and the undying goal to be a beacon of freedom in each of those areas. We are flawed as humans and will continue to be forever. Unless we recognize those flaws individually and unemotionally correct them to the best of our abilities, Our unique and free society cannot sustain itself. Through public protest or private self-examination, we must reflect on our errors and strive to be better versions of ourselves for our own good and that of our country. Freedoms are protected by those who shed blood domestically and overseas, who eliminate those who seek to subvert it, but only because those they protect take it upon themselves to embody those values to embody the values those freedoms are founded upon daily. 
Throughout history, adversity has bred innovation. Reactions to illogical, unfounded government policies and criminal misconduct by legal authorities proves to me that our American moral compass is still pointed in the right direction. I hope our leadership at all levels recognize the national dissatisfaction with the status quo and make significant changes towards the end of towards the end goal of providing a society where equality of opportunity prevails, enforcement of law exemplifies morality, and success can be achieved through determination, discipline, and resolve. I don't believe the goals of the American dream have changed since 1931 when the term was coined. I do believe that many of the correctable barriers to its achievement are still standing firm. As individuals and as a nation, it is incumbent upon all of us to demolish them brick by brick. So that is what I wrote. I wrote that what day? When was it? May 30th. So a few days ago. Um, I probably should have started off by saying when it was right, what when it is right now. It's June 3rd, Wednesday evening. I think we're probably all into a couple beers at this point. <laughs> it is a Wednesday. Every day is a weekend. Matt, um, Matt, do you mind me jumping in? But yeah, so what I wanted to do first was just get your reaction and perspectives because we we spoke about it very briefly. But yeah, um, see what you have to say about it. I mean, there's so many points that I, I'd like to talk about. Um, first of all, I think it's very important that you're you know not necessarily putting out there putting this out there for public consumption upon your first draft of it. Um, I think that is something that need that more people especially uh white people need to do is to really think things through about what you know how they feel about all the things going on in our country and um i appreciated the fact that you trusted me with with this first draft or final draft however you want to call it i think it's a beautiful a beautiful sentiment um but you know it's funny despite knowing how great of a person you are and you know, not really doubting for a second um, your 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 own moral compass, as you said. You know, when I first got that text message, I think simply because uh, you are a white male in America, um, I was a there was a tinge of like, oh man, like I really hope like this message is about to be um, on message or on brand with what I hope my friend is, right, or what I believe my friend to be. You know, so my when you started off with the American flag, I think that was such a unique way. I'm kind of looking at this just as like a speechwriter. You know, when you when you start talking about the American flag, for whatever reason, the American flag right now in my head was almost synonymous with a MAGA hat, right? Which is which yeah. should not be the case. But that was kind of like, I, and I think that was probably intentional with the way that you wrote it. Um, the American flag, you know, despite the original sin of our country and the fact that this country was not a free country when, when it was built, there are many, you know, we're at 400 years of inequality in our country. Um, I just, I, I think that starting with the, the image of the American flag is so important because right now I am not proud to be an American citizen. 
And I think that if you take pride in your country, the idea of what, a, what this country is supposed to be, for whatever reason right now, that is almost synonymous with being a racist. And I think the reason is, is because the country was founded upon a, a, a racist ideology. Well, I guess there's two, there's, the way I would look at it is just drawing off of what you said. So in word, America was founded on freedom and equality, but in action, it was not by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were founded upon slavery. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the, that was the foundation for our, um, economic strategy right um for as you said 400 years and then it the i guess the idea of slavery and the subjugation obviously still continues so i, I that that says a lot i think um or speaks a lot to the difference between word and action word means nothing unless your actions um, you know, stick to or you know emphasize those words. You know, hopefully, you know, words don't mean shit. I guess is the point of that statement. You know, yeah. I can tell my I can tell my girlfriend that I'm never going to cheat on her again, but unless I don't, it doesn't mean anything, right? You do it again, those words mean less than they did before. So your your actions can either. They're not going to keep the words the same, right? They're, they're not going to maintain this, the status of those words. They're either going to um, push them up or, like, totally subvert them, you know? So, like, words don't mean shit without actions on it, I guess, is what's the point of that. Yeah, and I, I think that's so important, though, man. Like, continue along that theme. You know, you talked about the Constitution, um, I was just kind of jotting some notes down as you were reading that, um, the idea of, you know, how America was supposed to be the city, you know, the city upon a hill idea, um, the beacon of freedom, but all that stuff is, it, it's, it's just a facade, right? You know, and, and I, I do have pride in my country. Um, you know, I have a, an uncle that was a, a Navy commander, a retired Navy commander, and, um, he's one of my biggest role models. You know, I, I love what our country can be in theory, but the practice of it so often is uh, perverted and, and subverted. So um, I kind of want to talk more about the the words that you chose to use, which were, were really interesting to me. Um, the idea of, so let's, go ahead, go ahead. Just let's, let's put pause on that. Greg, uh, you were an English major, correct? Yeah, so I was in English. So I went to BC with Matt. Right, we were we were roommates for a little bit. You're roommates. Yeah, we were yeah. roommates for a little bit at BC. Um, so we'll go into more of those crazy stories later on. Um, but my so let's 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 just say that my words, the words that I chose, probably stick out to Greg more than the average person. So yeah, I, I just know you. I'm just saying you're. I'm, I'm just saying you're. You're. Well, not just because you're an English major, I'm sure, a variety of reasons, I'm sure. But I'm saying this from a positive standpoint, you're more in tune to the meaning of each word in a sentence as opposed to just reading the whole thing and, and just taking, you know, yeah. 
the totality of the statement away from it. Like you, like you have a, a, I, you know, absolutely a, a different, different perspective. So anyway, yeah. and, and I mean, just to give people more context, like when we were at BC and uh, we were roommates together, um, you know, in, in between us doing chin-ups, <laughs> like, like all college <laughs> bros do, we actually had like a, like two a, or three. a word of the day. Uh, poster that we that we had up and did, like most resolutions um it didn't last long but that was you know we wanted to it was that was pretty good it, it was good we we learned some words man I, like, honestly i feel like i don't remember the words that we learned but if you could at some point throw in one of those words in this conversation i'd be happy um but I'll see what I but getting do. back to uh what, what i was saying i I really appreciated your wording and my, I'm sorry, my dog's whining in the background. Hey, Blaze, cut it out. Um, you used the words unemotionally correct the problem. And then you talked about private self-examination or public protest. Um, I kind of want to start with why you chose to use the word unemotionally correct the problem. Uh, that that word sure. unemotionally was that that stood out to me that like hit me like a brick so I want to hear what you have to say about that sure so um, I think I said this to someone the other day uh, I think I said I don't know if it's a verbatim but I said feelings are either meaningless or negative and I don't know if I'd stand by that. Not the other day. It was probably several weeks ago. No, um, no I mean, fe- I guess feelings and emotions. Yeah, I guess they're kind of the same thing. But so I, you know, I would say I would separate emotions into like emotions can certainly be a motivation, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think emotions should inform a strategy. And if you want to correct the problem, you better have a strategy going in because if you're just angry, I don't think anger can form a winning strategy over a problem. And I think the only way to correct the problem is to assess the problem unemotionally because if you're emotional, then you might put too much weight into one aspect of the problem or the other not maybe maybe in the right way maybe the wrong way um but i think it has to be an unemotional assessment of the problem and then an unemotional from that an unemotional development of the strategy to attack that problem and you know i've made i'm you know, I'm, I'm an emotional guy. I act out of mostly <laughs> anger quite a bit. Uh, generally, that's the emotion that I act out of. And I will tell you from countless experiences, the vast majority of the uh, react or the, I guess, the implementations I've of solutions that I've developed out of anger, which is within a split second because the reaction uh, have been either unsuccessful or not achieving the outcome that I wanted in hindsight. So, and that unemotional, I guess the use of that word 
comes a lot from some of the reading I've been doing lately. Um, you know, I never served in the military, uh, unfortunately. I Yeah, I'd say unfortunately, because I, I did want to. Um, but I do read a lot and listen to, uh, read military, read, I guess, military books. Yeah, that, that recount events or speak about strategy. Uh, I listen to, you know, Jocko Willing's podcast. I think everyone knows, knows a lot of people probably know about him. Um, Andy Stumpf, another Navy, mm. Navy guy, speak about it. Um, and that has informed my view of, uh, of how to attack problems. And that's, that's why I chose that word. Well, I, I, th- I think it was a, you know, I, I that's kind of what I was thinking of why you chose that. Because I mean, of all the, of all the images that I've seen on the internet and they're all so heartbreaking and I feel for every single person out there protesting. Um, and I, I, a lot of what I see is reactionary. Right. Um, and right. I don't want to get into whether or not people should be allowed to be angry. Like, of course they should be allowed to be angry. Right. But of all the videos that I've seen, the two most powerful videos over the last, um, over the last week, one is killer Mike's video of the speech that he was able to make oh despite God. the, the emotions that he was feeling. If I'm feeling, if I can't even imagine trying to give a speech off the cuff, like he did feeling what feeling what he must've been feeling and being so eloquent and staying on message. It was, it was absolutely beautiful and so inspiring. Um, and kind of going on what you were saying, I have the, I have some quotes pulled up here. You know, he said, it's time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. That was, uh, I freaking love that so much. Yeah. Go, give me, give me your thoughts on, uh, on killer Mike's speech. I'd love to hear it. I mean, it, it really resonated with me. Um, you know, make your home a place of refuge was one of the things he said. I think he said, you know, don't burn down your home, make it, make it a place of refuge. He said, I think he mm-hmm. said that just prior to the first time he said that. Yeah, I got, I got the quote here. It says, I am, I am plan plus strategize. Yeah, he says, I am duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. Man. That's amazing. I've listened to him. I've listened to him before, and I will say his his speech there was not, or I should say, the eloquence and um, just how and just my how was how awesome and um, moving that speech was was not surprising at all to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I've heard him speak before, and he's a very uh, he's clearly like well-educated, well-read, um, inspiring, and, you know, has, has a unique perspective on all this too, um, because he has ties to law enforcement, mm-hmm. but, you know, his ties to his community, you know, whatever you want to call it, the African-American community, the black community, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that, 
those run, I mean, just, you know, talk about years, those run deeper. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't born with ties to law enforcement. Yeah. He was born who he is. Um, so I think those, he, he has, I guess he has probably unique perspective from a, from a lot of people. So, and, and like I said, that, that's the point of this, like talking to people like you have a different perspective than me. Killer Mike has a different perspective than um, many of the people who are like physically affected by this. Like I'm, I'm so I'm, all on the outside of this, right? I'm, I'm emotionally affected. I'm, you know, what you, I guess, patriotically affected, I guess might be a good way of putting it, but I'm not physically affected by this. Yeah. I'm sure Killer Mike, he's, he's physically affected by this. So he's got, I'm sure so many things running through his mind at all times that I, I can't begin to conceive of. Um, just, I, I literally like, physically cannot um, put myself in his shoes for sure um, i think i think that's so important to point out as well um you know and and, and matt uh, as i'm looking at you know the recording time of, of this pod um to me this this feels like this is going to be like a three-part series because there's so much yeah. maybe, you know maybe a five-part series this, we could do 100 episodes on this us trying to figure out yeah. you know a solution to this problem and in addition to looking at every everybody's perspective and empathizing. Um, but I think the most important thing that we can do is, is listen right now, you know? And I, I had, I was thinking, um, do I, do I want to, I know, I know right now we are trying to establish this right as, as a platform, but I was thinking like, man, is my voice the voice that needs to be heard right now? You know, like I'm an, I'm an educator for people out there. Um, I, I live in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm half Chinese, a quarter Irish and a quarter Lithuanian. Grew up in Dorchester um, in an Irish Catholic neighborhood. I was, I was in, my, in my eyes, I was othered in my, in my community, my local community growing up. I felt like my best friend who's uh, adopted from Brazil, we were two, two of the people that did not have white skin in my neighborhood. Um, so on some level I can relate, but on so many other levels, I cannot, because I, I do have a lot of privilege. Um, uh, my family did not struggle. My dad is a Harvard graduate. My mom is, um, a Boston university graduate. I went to Boston Latin school. Um, I lived in the same house my entire life. I still go home to that house. Um, my family was one of the few families that had a pool, you know, because my dad, worked hard. He, he started as an intern and um, worked his way up in a company to become the VP after graduating Harvard. Um, but my mom is the first of her children, of her uh, siblings born in the United States. Her brothers were born in, in China. And, you know, she experienced a lot of racism in Boston. Boston is just, there's so much racism in there. Um, so that that's kind of this perspective I'm speaking from. I, I recognize that I've, I'm more well off than a lot of people, but over time, I've kind of come to come to terms with with the fact that when I was younger, I was scared to to be who I was. Um, I wanted to be a white kid growing up because it was easier, and I heard them say awful things, awful things about my own race, um, 
caught like I remember this one time and I don't want to go too far into this but um one time how old, how how old were you at this point um I'm probably so it's at Garvey Park um probably 14 because we're probably on the big diamonds at this point so I'm at a um right. I'm at a baseball game you know warming up for a baseball game uh neighborhood kids are in the park and I think I was just like playing catch with one of my friends warming up our arms and my uncle Dave shows up and I see him Right. If, if you've ever been to Garvey Park, you can see everybody that's entering the park. You got to walk down this big set of stairs. Mm-hmm. And as he's walking down, he's wearing sunglasses, you know, like looking like my Uncle Dave. Like this is a Chinese, Chinese American born you know, immigrant born in China, uh, walking down the stairs, but just like swagged out. I'm like, oh, that's my Uncle Dave. And I feel so much pride when I see him. And a few, uh, I'm getting, I'm getting choked up. Um, <clears throat> a few people start talking and I hear this one girl, I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to put her out there like that. But she goes, who let the fucking soy in the park? Direct quote. Yes, I, I stopped. I remember stopping. And my first feeling was not anger, which, which really frustrated me. It was embarrassment. And... For me, as someone who's lived a life of privilege, in that moment, to feel embarrassed over who they are, and when you apply that over 400 years with, with the oppression that African Americans have faced in America, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the level of frustration and anger that the average African American has in America with all the horrible things that are said. Um, so getting back to what we were talking about, unemotionally correcting a problem, it's so important, it's so important, man. But you, with these emotions that people feel, cause even now, I mean, I'm, I'm a very emotional person. You know, I write music, I write poems. Um, I teach on emotion. I always tell my kids it's okay to be emotional, but emotions are there as a source of inspiration, in my opinion. The moments where you feel like you cannot keep going, you have to be able to remember those moments where you had all the anger in the world or all the sadness in the world and and to draw on that to push you forward in times where you want to stop. And um, another thing that you had mentioned was the idea of uh, public protest or private self-examination. And right now, I'm going to be honest, man, I have not protested. I have not been out there on the streets. Um, I want to. I do want to. For me, I don't know that it's out of fear of going out there and like getting hit with the rubber bullet. You know, see these stories of people uh, blinded by a stray bullet or things like that. Um, part of it is COVID. I really haven't left and gone out into society much since this coronavirus crisis hit. Um, but I was, I was appreciative of your, your comment on private self-examination because I feel like that's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to listen. Um, I've been trying to share Black voices on social media. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an aspiring hip-hop artist right now. So I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, I'm reading up on um, am I culturally appropriating uh, all, all of these things that I want to be more informed about. And I think that's probably the most important thing 
that anybody that's not black can do right now is just educate yourself. There's so the, the internet's filled with great resources and we can talk about some of those resources later. Um, but we have to be okay with examining who we are and being comfortable. I'm a basketball coach too. So I always tell my students, uh, my, my players, we got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And when you apply that to this situation, you got to be able to have those uncomfortable conversations with people in your life that you, you might not want to talk about politics with. You might not want to talk about what it means, morality, you know, and to talk about what morality is, you know, because to be, to be frank, you're uncomfortable with what they might say. And then this image that you have of that person could be, could be torn down, but it, it's the time now where you got to do it. Um, you know, I talk to my dad all the time. My dad's a white guy from Dorchester. Great guy. But second, second, unbelievable. One of the, one of the best people I've ever met. Um, and I don't, I'm not trying to put my dad's business out there or anything, but we've had to have some, some conversations that he's been open to and he's, he's been listening and I can tell he's uncomfortable with it. Um, and it breaks his heart when I tell him stories of, of, of going to a baseball game in my baseball coach's car with three white kids in the back seat and them making fun of the baseball coach for driving a soy car, you know, with me sitting in the front seat, the youngest kid on the team, not knowing how to feel, you know, and we got to have those conversations with the people that can make a difference in their own ethnic communities to be, be brave enough to share their voice and their perspective and challenge people to just check, you know, check themselves, examine themselves, like you just said, because if we don't examine ourselves, we're going to continue the racist ideologies that our country was built upon in the words that have no meaning without action. Um, I think that's so important. And I'm, I'm not, I'm just in love with what you wrote, man. I think it's great. I think it's important. I think people need to hear it. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, Again, this was not – so going back to, you know, privilege and perspective, you know, this this was not something I just came up with out of thin air. Uh, this was – I read something, Barack Obama, Mr. Obama, whatever the correct uh, way to uh, to talk about it. I read some. I think both. I think both of those work, though, man. Uh, Barack. Okay. All right. <laughs> he. I mean, if I talked to him, he'd probably go. But he probably tell me to call him Barack because uh, he seems uh, like a pretty cool, dude. Uh, call me. Call me. Yeah, Gary. I, mean, I call me. I call me, Yeah. Gary. B. I gotta get a uh, what's his name? Jordan. What is that? Peel. Jordan Peel does the Barack Obama <laughs> impersonation. I'm working on mine, man. I'll, I'll, I'll work okay. on the next one. Yeah, you well, I prefer I prefer your Will Smith, but um, we we can we can work to the uh, Barack Obama, but no, like I I didn't write this, you know, just out of my own, or I wasn't inspired. Talk about emotion, like I was inspired by the emotion I felt um, after reading what he wrote, and I wish I had it in front of me, but I don't. Um, but after I was inspired by the emotion that 
the emotion I had after reading what he wrote, I, I took a beat and as you like, you can, I'm sure I said some shit to myself. I always talk to myself uh, after reading it. But you know, as I started writing it down, yeah, there was emotion behind me writing it. But as I'm writing the words down, like that, that physical action, whether it's in grant, like when, when you write stuff down, like there are parameters that like there, there's a structure to how you write. Right. You know, there's subject, verb, object, all that, all that stuff. Like I, I know how, like when you verbalize something, it doesn't have to be in any structure. When you write it down, theoretically it, it should be. So as I'm writing it down, like there's a strategy to how I'm writing it. And, you know, as we were saying, like, the emotion inspired me, but, you know, whether it was just the structure of the English language or, you know, I, as I'm writing it, like I want what I write to be good. Right. So I want to phrase in a way that I think strategically will be impactful. So that's how I sort of, I did, you know, that was, yeah. yeah. I, I, I hit backspace a few times when I misspelled shit on my phone because no, no one types perfectly. But like th that was the first draft of what I wrote. I didn't go back and edit it. The only amendment I made to it several days after the fact, um, what did I say? Adversity. I said something about adversity, right? I said adversity. I said adversity is... I said, if adversity is truly, I said, throughout history, adversity is bred innovation. Yeah, yeah. And the one, the one amendment I made to that after the fact was that adversity, as we've seen it, 9-11 was the example. And I think COVID too, and I think even the reaction to to George Floyd's murder, um, you know, adversity can instill unity in society. And I think it can instill it because that society, that society has a common enemy. Yeah. Right. In 9-11, in it was a terrorist. That was our common enemy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a brief unity. Yeah. I think in order to sustain that unity, uh, there has to be a common strategy to defeat that enemy. And I think with 9-11, especially as you saw, you know, as we engaged in the, you know, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, you saw that the unity fracture because there wasn't the same unification around the strategy yeah. on how to, to attack it, them or it, whatever, whatever it is. And the George Floyd case is it, it's injustice. Yeah. And, and I kind of jump in real think, quick. Um, yeah. With, you know, talking about unity and um, everybody being brought together against a common enemy. I saw something the other day that, you know, all, or maybe it was today or yesterday, all 50 states, you know, were protesting this. And yeah. I think one of the things, you know, you started this podcast talking about how important law enforcement is in your family. And we talked about how Kill Mike has, you know, family members that are law enforcement. And that's, that's one of the issues, right? Is that we all know somebody who's, who's a police officer 
and we want to believe that they're a good person and they're not going to be the people that are that are doing this um but at the end of the day it's it's not the individual that is the problem like there are a few bad apples there are a few rogue cops you hear all this rhetoric that people are throwing out there at the end of the day it's a system and if if there are if there are policies in place that allow police officers who have a predisposition to target minorities it it's going to lead to issues and you know i i I don't want to post on social media like talking anything about police officers or like wishing my my buddies that are police officers the best but like i i texted them i messaged them and let them know i hope they're safe um and i i i hope that they're not put in a position where you know they're they're the next cop that 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 kills an, an innocent black man or an unarmed black man and it just really it, it it's really important that i think everybody understand we all know a police officer but at the end of the day we're not talking about individual police we're talking about the issue of police brutality specifically against black people and it's not fair and it's it's disgusting it's murder i'm i'm really glad that you car- you categorized it as a murder at first you said incident and you changed it to murder it is a goddamn murder that is one of the grossest most disgusting vile videos i've ever seen in my life and i couldn't watch it until the end i didn't even watch until he started calling out for his mom i couldn't get that far man i got it within 30 seconds this racist piece of shit murdered this innocent black man and didn't give a shit about it. And I, I really, I really, really hope that people understand it's not about the individual. It is about the system. It is about changing our perception of what police officers are. I know good police officers, but they're in a corrupt system. If we change the system, the good people will flourish and the bad people will have to get with the good system. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things, so, you know, not being totally informed about or not knowing what aspects of the overall judicial system can change to rectify the wrongs that, you know, enabled, um, I guess, specifically George Floyd to murder. The the two things I can speak about are uh, police officers are, and I'm getting this from uh, Greg Anderson, who I don't know what the current status of his issue is, but presumably will be fired from, uh, I think it was the Port of Seattle police force. Um, he posted an Instagram video just saying that it, it was around COVID okay. and um, arresting people for being in a park with too many people they shouldn't be or, or basically it was around the, saying there's no basis for 
um, you're arresting people and you, you're um, I'm trying to find it, but I don't want to take, I don't want to, you know, pervert his words or, or his statement, but um, you're enforcing policies that are not under law mm-hmm. and you're depriving people of their rights when you have no basis to do so. Um, and one of the things he talked about when he was diving into that was how police officers are by by training afforded a level of discretion use that word specifically Mm. discretion they are afforded discretion i have been the overwhelming benefit of police officers discretion in many of my encounters that very easily could have gone the other way. For sure. Do you mind me telling a you talk, you mind me telling a quick story after you finish? Yeah, let me let me let me just tell yeah. a quick one about his discretion he used and then you, you tell yours. So he he this it, the instance he described where he implement implemented that discretion that they're allowed was uh, he was some some guy came into the port uh, and they have a very defined area where they're um, I guess their jurisdiction, you call it. Some guy came into the port with like five pills of oxy or something, or I don't know what the exact number was, but clearly there was no intent to distribute. They were for personal use. And I can't remember exactly where he was from, but he spoke to the guy and the guy said, yeah, I can go down to the store and get these uh, just over the counter. It's no problem. And they're for my pain. Um, they're, they're for you know his personal use, right? And you know this guy, this guy Greg Anderson, was like, well, you know, by code of law, I have to arrest this guy, and you know he has to go, he has to go before a judge, and basically used discretion he, he took the pills away and said listen man you can't have these i know why you're using them blah blah, blah. nothing resulted from the case like he, he it was basically thrown away and he called up his his superior officer and his superior officer that was the exact same thing um but obviously and i'm sure your story will ha- may have a different tune yeah. to it but that discretion allows <laughs> a lot of interpretation and interpretation is by that individual. And if that individual doesn't have the right motivation or, and we'll get to this, the training to implement that discretion in what we as society consider the right way or the correct way or the way it was intended, Mm -hmm. then that can go south real quick. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's really unfortunate that, you know, discretion uh, leads to to bias, right? And that certain ways that people present themselves or certain ways that people talk um, cause discretion to turn into murder. You know, just like thinking... You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a tan person, right? I'm... I, I, especially since I moved to Texas, like I have brown skin. Um, and when I first moved to Texas, my uncle Dave, who I brought up earlier with the, uh, the incident at Garvey, 
um, he told me, he was like, Hey, as you're driving from Boston to Austin, like you have to be careful. Like, I know that, you know, I, I like I said, I lived, I, I lived a pretty privileged life. Like I didn't, I never really felt like my life was ever in danger because of the way I looked never. Like I felt, I dealt with some comments and people joking about me being Chinese and stuff like that, but I never felt my life was threatened. And he told me, he said, Hey, as you're driving from Boston to Austin, like you look at the States I got to drive through, there are some, there are some people that aren't going to like the way that you look. And I was like, really? Well, you, you don't, you don't look Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't look like it. Like I wouldn't look at you and go oh, that. That's a, he, he has Chinese heritage or whatever. Correct. Like, so, you know, it's, it's how you perceive. A- absolutely. Right, the and that's, scenario. that's the discretion that I'm talking about. Right. Is where like, you know, my, my Nana who God, God bless her. was like 90 years old, Irish, Irish woman. And, you know, growing up when I had earrings, when I had my like di- uh, um, cubic zirconium earrings in, I thought were diamonds, you know, she paid me a hundred dollars. <laughs> she paid me a hundred dollars to take them out of my ear one day at, uh, at the mud house in, on, 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 um, in Dorchester. And she told me that I looked Puerto Rican and she wanted me to take, you know, take the earrings out because I looked Puerto Rican. You know, like I, I, I definitely don't look Chinese. You're right. Uh, but when I left Boston for the first time, I spent my whole life in Boston, man. I never really traveled anywhere. But I decided when I graduated, I wanted to move. I kind of really came to terms with, with that, who I am from other people's perspectives. And it really helped me develop who I am as a person because of that. Um, but the story I wanted to tell was the last time I actually drove home to Boston, I went a little bit of a different road. And I'm pretty sure I was in Kentucky. I'm pretty sure I was in Kentucky driving north towards Ohio. Um, I might be wrong about that, but in my mind, that's where I was. And, you know, I'm, I got my pit bull in the back seat. Um, I got all the stuff that I'm taking home for the summer. And there's, I'm on a two-lane highway. And I'm in the left lane, right? The passing lane. And as I'm in the left lane, all of a sudden there's a cop behind me. And I can't even imagine how black people feel when a cop pulls up behind them. For me, it's more like just like general fear of getting in trouble, not like my life is in danger. But I came to the realization that, man, like this person does not know me. They will 100% be judging me off of their biases and off of their just quote unquote discretion, which to me just is a bias and prejudice, right? It's just a synonym for prejudice. And I started to get nervous, man. I really did. Um, and the cop, you know, I pulled into the right lane. Cop pulls, follows me into the right lane. I go back into the left lane, follows me back into the left lane. I'm like, okay, he's following me. Like, I needed to know that he was following me. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. No, no, no lights on. It's it's middle of the no. day, bro. Middle of the day. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's following me. No, but he, he, yeah. he doesn't have, yeah. obviously, he doesn't no, have no. lights on. He's exactly. just fine. Exactly. So I'm I'm starting to get a little bit worried, man. I'm like, shit. I'm in I'm in this white ass state of Kentucky, and I don't know who this cop is. I can't really see him. I'm just focused on, you know, driving from Austin to Boston, and a little bit worried about just staying safe and not falling asleep at the wheel and stuff like that. And after a while, I'm like, okay, this guy's like, he wants to pull me over. Like, when is he gonna pull me over? So after about a mile or two, 
suddenly the lights go on. And I'm like, okay, he wants me to pull over. And so I pull over, and he comes up to me. And, you know, the first thing I think is I got to show this man that I'm educated and that I'm not an idiot, right? Or some, not idiot is probably the wrong word, but, like, I'm not someone that he would think to be what he would think to be an idiot. So, like, the moment he comes up to me, I put on the the most educated voice I can think of. I gave him all the sirs and how you doing? You know, I, I'm just like licking at this guy's boots because I don't know who he is. And he comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, do you realize you're in you're in the passing lane?" I'm like, "What do you, What do you mean?" He's like, "You're in the passing lane." I said, "There, yeah. I mean, there are two lanes, and I'm in the left lane, and I'm like." driving at a normal pace that everybody else is driving slightly faster than the people in the right lane. You know, I'm not speeding because I'm passing because I'm passing the other yeah. car in the <laughs> right lane. Hence the passing. So lane. He goes, but you're not passing anybody. You're not driving fast enough to be in the left lane. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this guy pulled me over because I wasn't driving fast enough, even though I was still <laughs> passing people. Like, I wasn't driving slower than the people in the right lane. I was still passing. I was kind of, you know, doing the normal thing. Like, I'm going 75, they're going 65, and I'm weaving in and out. And, it, it, it you know, looking back on that moment, if I had been a black person, man, the way that guy, I mean, he, he, he was looking to arrest somebody. And luckily, I was able to point to the dog in the back. I was able to point to all the stuff that I was, I was carrying, you know, all my clothes. I was like, hey, man, I'm just going home for the summertime. Like, I'm a school teacher. I'm, I'm visiting my family. Like, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Like, I'll stay in the right lane if you want me to stay in the right lane. But, like, I, I didn't realize I was breaking any laws. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, you know. And, and he was like, he was like, okay. Like, I could tell him, I could tell he was really enjoying this moment. And eventually, after about five minutes of interrogating me, he let me go. And I was lucky to be able to get away just going on my way towards towards Ohio. Um, but that man, that that moment now, I realize how privileged I am to be able to to get out of that situation. And that my upbringing allowed me to have a job and have a life. And have an education where if a cop pulls me over, they can hopefully tell that I'm not a threat. And it's it's just well, sad I... that there are people that don't have the privilege that I had that in their hearts are not a threat and that are still perceived as a threat because of, as you deemed it, someone's discretion. Well, you know... You also didn't have, like you described, like guys come up to your car, shit, am I in trouble? What did I do? Like, I'm going to be super respectful and try not to piss this guy off. Yeah. So, yeah. I good mean, point. And you, but, but you're, you, but, you know, I'm sure you were raised as though, you know, look, the police are out here to do good. You know, they're not our enemy, they're our friend. Right. And they're just trying to enforce the law when I'm sure there are a lot of people out there 
that are, uh, you know, from their upbringing, they don't see the police as their friend. You know, this guy, this guy's not here to either get me in trouble or not get me in trouble. Like this could be a problem. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, that informs your perspective on like if I get, so for example, I get pulled over. First thing I do, hands on the wheel, 10 and two, show that I'm not going for anything in my, I don't, I don't go for my registration right away or my license. I just put the hands on the wheel and stop and then wait for instructions and say, officer or trooper, how you doing? Or, you know, try to address them with the right word. I've gotten that wrong a few times. Um, but whatever, whatever this case may be, just do my, do my best to show I'm not a threat. And then what do you need from me? Registration. Cool. In your site, I'll go to the glove box, get my registration and then go to my pocket and get my license. Um, so, you know, I, you know, part of that's obviously informed by, you know, I'm a good guy. The police are good guys from, you know, everything I've been told. And, okay, cool. We're going to be civil here. I'm going to do what you tell me because you're in this scenario. You have the authority. Whatever you need, I'll give you. Done. But, like, if you're going into a situation where, oh, shit, like, you, you don't know what could happen. Like, I... I, I have the expectation if I get pulled over that I'm either going to get a ticket or not get a ticket, right? Those are the only two two outcomes of the scenario. It's a great point. But if you go into a scenario where the outcome could be, I mean, with the internet, you you see, I mean, you see that shit all the time. Where like, um, I mean, I mean, George Floyd wasn't in the car, right? But like, it 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 can go a whole bunch of different ways. I know there, there are two ways that my situation could unfold. There are way more ways that your situation could have unfolded and even more ways that, I guess, the Blackbird situation could have unfolded, as we've seen from so many examples, you know? Yeah. So, you know, if I go in thinking it's this or this, not it's this, 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 this or that, with that being... I'm on the ground, my hands in cuffs, yeah, and I'm being held down. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Then, the, what was what's going to be your immediate reaction going in? You yeah. Know? I mean, what do you expect? You, you're in a corner, right? You're already in an emotional corner, and as you were coming back to what we were saying earlier, like you can't be unemotional in that moment. You're. It's, 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 I will say it, it had from all the encounters I've had, not just with law enforcement, but it's when you go into a situation where you have no idea what the outcome could be, it is very difficult to put those emotions down and act out of any other way. It's very difficult to act rationally as opposed to emotionally when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Man. And I think that, I, I think that, you know, and I can't, again, 
I've, I've talked about my, uh, my own background. I, I can't speak to other people's backgrounds. Um, but I think I can speak, you know, not being a law enforcement officer myself, but I think I can speak a little bit to that just because of, you know, the, you know, the education I've done yeah. on the subject yeah. is that like, like I said, um, it's very difficult to be unemotional when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Right. Yeah. If you put yourself in there in, in a law enforcement officer's shoes, um, you should have a better idea of what the outcome is going to be. It could be a really shit, right? Cause you don't know if the guy you're pulling over or girl you're pulling over has a gun or what, but you have some idea of the outcome of what the outcome is going to be. Could be really bad. Could be no problem. But I think the, one of the issues, and this is what I wanted to talk about too, is are you training yourself for all of those potential outcomes? And from a lot of the reading I've done, from a lot of the people I've listened to, um, there isn't sufficient training on all of the possible outcomes for an event. So if someone goes into a situation and they're faced with a possible outcome that they haven't trained for. Just like we talked about, an outcome, if you're getting pulled over and you're not a white person like me, I know it's A or B. You don't know if it's going to be A to Z. Are you going to act rationally or emotionally? Okay, flip that to the cop shoes. They're in an outcome where they don't know what the outcome is going to be because they haven't trained for it. Are they going to act emotionally or rationally? Probably emotionally. And those emotions are going to be informed, like you said, bias. Yeah. So what th then it comes down to, okay, what are those particular officers biases? Not what's their trend. Not, not what's, what's the code. What's the police code. What are their emotions informed by? And that's yeah. the, that, that's a problem. Yeah. Like if you've, if you've trained to, if you've done like extensive drills, training, pulling a person over who's, you know, ready to kill you, then yeah, it's probably going to be a pretty tough situation, but at least you've seen, you've seen it before, you mm -hmm. know, it could go down this way or that way, or, you train for all the ways this could go down. So you're ready for it and you for know sure. how to act in that situation. And I but, think, I mean, I, I, I think the, tra the training thing is important, man, but you know, just, just speaking from a, as an educator's perspective, right. Education is so theory based. It's, it's so theoretical. And if you, if you expect a teacher to be able to walk into a classroom purely based on a training that does not actually show what the real situation will be, that teacher is not going to be successful. That teacher will be successful when they have actually been in the classroom for a couple of years and they understand how the, how, in, how theory and practice meld. What I, the one thing that I can say about police is how do you train for something where it's so emotionally charged from the moment it begins where you don't know 
if that per like what that person is doing or do they have a weapon so it, it's really hard to train people for situations and and that do not give a accurate representation of what it will be right so i i do understand how it can be difficult you know i have friends that are cops that i trust that are good people right but i try to put myself in a police officer's shoes and if i saw someone breaking the law right not targeting somebody because there that's a different situation where where people are tar targeted by the system for something that normal people do every day right um if i if i see somebody breaking the law and i've never dealt with this before as a just knowing me as a person i'm going to be nervous going into that and oh, sure you know what i mean and i understand like that's the stress of the job right like that is that is the job is that you have to be ready for anything as a police officer but man the the targeting of people is the the biggest issue where there are these policies and that's i, I kind of want to come back to this idea man there are these policies in place that unfairly target people of color where the same i mean dude think of all at boston college how we could have been arrested every day every single 100%. day one of the first experiences we ever had together and i don't know you can delete this if you want we smoked weed together and like i don't know was it was like a graveyard or whatever i don't know if you remember that night it was like me you and mark and we went out and maybe one more person but we like smoked outside and like if we were in an area that police saw as a high crime area we could have been arrested for that shit but it was just like, oh, like we might get yelled at by the people whose property we're on or some shit. You know what I mean? Like the stakes were so low. And I think that's the problem is that there are all these police officers that are told this is where crime happens. Go arrest people. So when you when you hear this is where crime happens, go arrest people. And then when you compound that with I have to have a certain, you know, with like quotas and shit like that that are that are monetarily incentivized then you get issues where police officers are looking for crime rather than actually responding to a crime and that is the biggest issue so i mean i i i i'll say this i think the issue is the issue all right, that's a terrible way to say it. I think the issue is, again, I, I think there's some unity both between between us and I think within the greater community about what the issue is. There's injustice specifically towards a portion of our community, right? But I think, I do think, and this is, coming from you know the way I hear about different military groups train and maybe you know it's it's inappropriate to no so the way military military groups train for the outcomes that they might expect to encounter right I think that's exactly the way that 
law enforcement should train. Obviously, the, the outcomes they should expect will be different, right? The enemy is not an opposing force trying to kill them or, you know, in the, you know, talk about terrorists, like degrade our the democracy of America. The end, the problem is the, not the enemy, but the opposing force, not the, ah, what's the way, or what way to put this? It's, it may not be an opposing force, but that that's the point, is that the person you're going to arrest or not arrest is a citizen of the United States. Yeah. Just like you are. You guys are on an equal playing field in that scenario. And the tra- if you don't train properly for the potential outcomes and how you need to act in those scenarios, if you don't have specific scenario-based training, then you'll act out of emotion. You won't go back to your training. Yeah. And that's that's not saying that you, you can train for every possible outcome. But if you trained on enough of them where you can say, okay, this particular interaction is going to go one of three ways. I've trained on one of them. Then you can ad lib or whatever you want to call it, change your training may training tactics maybe a bit to adapt to that situation but if your training hasn't even come close to that particular outcome then what are you going to do you can act out of emotion if that person's a piece of shit their emotions are going to be shit in that scenario or their their body is going to be shit in that scenario and you're relying on that then you're relying way too much on that one individual and then you're just praying that the person's not a piece of shit. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, dude, bro. I mean, you're you're speaking some some hard facts right now, and this this reminds me of an uh, of a of a chart, a quote that I have up in my classroom. Right. I don't know if, if people are clear on this. I literally teach high schoolers in Austin, Texas, majority Hispanic population. All right, but I coach a basketball team, which is almost entirely African-American. And I preach this every day. I am successful because I am prepared. The separation is in the preparation. When someone's life is at stake, it is almost impossible for you to be prepared for a situation in which someone's life is at stake. And when cops... Police officers go into situations. You see this right now. The police officers that are in riot gear and you hear the, you know, uh, I don't see no riot here. Why are you in riot gear? When you hear that protest going on, when you show up to a situation expecting the worst, because let's be let's be real. As a police officer, it's police officer. It's not easy to walk into a situation and be unarmed. Like, I wouldn't want that as a police officer because I don't know what could happen. I would at least want the option to have a weapon as a police officer, but I'd be signing up for that shit and I would know that. But they're, they're, they're prepared for the worst case scenario. They're prepared for the worst case scenario, which is a rarity, right? It's a rarity. But when people's lives are at stake, 
like the moment you murder somebody and you know we're i think there are a couple like police brutality is one thing and like a cop being like a little too quick to the trigger is another thing right where he's actually worried um because i think those are two different things when you walk into a situation and by the by your very appearance just as you as as unfair as this is, just as you walking into the station as a cop and you see a black person, you're a white cop, and you're like, oh, because he's black, he threatens me, which is wrong. I'm not, I don't twist my words here, public. It's wrong to think that way. But when a, when a black person or anybody that you're interacting with looks at you and says, here's somebody with a gun, right? It's scary. And the moment it becomes scary, it becomes a problem. And I, you know, I've been listening to all these people talk about um, having a different. Like I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast today, and he had uh, DeRay. I forget DeRay. He's he's one of the founders of Campaign Zero. I forget his last name. DeRay something McKenna maybe. Um, but like there needs to be a way in which we can adjust the policies of police departments where not every police officer is showing up expecting some like battle to occur where someone's life is at stake. And when you see protests, like obviously there are people that are being assholes that are corrupting the protest. But everybody that I know when they go to the protest, they are protesting peacefully. There, there they were, might. There were over a, a thousand people in Franklin Park the other day. One hundred percent peaceful. Yeah. For, for a variety of reasons, but one hundred percent peaceful. Hundred percent, and that's over a thousand people gathered in a pretty Man. concentrated area. Yeah, and where uh, you where know. where violence occurs regularly, and there was yeah. zero violence. It's one of the most scenario. dangerous parts parts of Boston, right? And we're we're eighty minutes into this recording right now, man. And Seven, seventy-eight, I, eighteen. <laughs> I don't. I I really don't want to talk about Trump. That I don't think we need to, because I think most people understand that that guy is a piece of shit. But like, man, like, how stupid do you have to be to to? tweet the stuff that he's tweeting well he doesn't he doesn't know how to unify because uh, he's 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 so dumb man he's his success has been gained through in business pinning others against each other in negotiation yeah yeah his success manipulation manipulation his success has not come from unification it's come from separation and yeah the leader of our country has to have unification as their focus or their or their their metric for success and listen man it's not it's not like trump is trump we all understand what trump is right i'm not i'm not going to go into the 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 biggest you know i'm not going to delineate why trump sucks but like with Obama, right? When Ferguson happened, Obama was in office and he didn't do shit about it. Um, 
like in my mind, I remember talking to people being like, he needs to be like on the ground with a fucking speakerphone in hand, like talking to the crowd, like Bill Pullman and freaking Independence Day. You know what I mean? Like that's and maybe that's my own romanticized version of what the president is. But in that moment, as the first African-American president, now maybe it would have been different because there is no video of um, of the of the Ferguson murder, right? Of, the, of him actually being murdered by a police officer, right? Am, am I right on that? We don't have. The I haven't I mean, seen a video. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure there is no video of it. But when you have George Floyd, who is murdered in such a callous manner, where this guy is so nonchalantly, slowly taking the breath out of a human right maybe obama is different then because it's 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 on camera like this this is a murder this guy needs to be arrested and and prosecuted right now right with my with uh michael brown that was ferguson right it it wasn't the same it wasn't the case and i i heard uh, and this is just through the simmons podcast that obama and simmons said that obama said um you know, when that, when that stuff happens, like you have to make sure you have a strategy, which is kind of going back to what you were saying about unemotionally correct the problem. You can't just react and you can't like, what if, if there's no video, if Obama went down there immediately, but what if Mike Brown had actually had a gun out and was trying to kill the cop? And you know what I mean? He was trying to get his facts straight, which I understand, but the facts were pretty freaking clear with George Floyd. Like this motherfucking cop murdered him callously in cold blood and it's it just it's so frustrating when trump you know and i saw trump trying you know he 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 tweeted some stuff like hey like the the that's not okay like he did tweet to, like to to give him a some sort of credit he did tweet some stuff that was condemning what happened to george floyd Right. But then he immediately politicizes it. And that's the problem It's like, we don't need you to politicize this shit, bro. We need you to lead as a human being. Well, it's not political. That situation was in no way political, but he politicized it, which was exactly, exactly. He, He created separation when there was the opportunity to unify. And despite that, I think America has unified. The major- I can't say everyone. I think the majority of America, as you, you talked about that, that image where every state is protested, like there is unity there. But as I said earlier, the unification can only be sustained by developing a unified strategy on how to correct it. Yeah, we'll try to keep it. We'll keep it light. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, we, we can't like assessing the problem and identifying it is only the first half. Um, actions towards correction are the second, and yeah. you know there needs to be a sustained effort, um, bipartisan or it, it just. I mean, partisan isn't even the word at this point. Um, there needs to be an American effort to. Uh, to correct it i hear you man and what's crazy is that oh man there's so many things that are crazy right now but the whole covid thing when 
compounded upon the George Floyd murder, it's like, like what is happening in our country right now, man? And this is uh, like, we don't have time to go into this, but like I was talking to my girlfriend earlier, I think it was yesterday. And we were like literally talking to each other about what we would do if there was a civil war. And it's not like, I I know it's, it's, it's unlikely that that would happen, but it's not out of the realm of possibility right now that a civil war could happen or, you know, that we would need to take action. And like, at some point, our moral compass would say, you need to do something now, right? Because this is wrong. And like, I, I, I'm not saying that what's happened, like my moral compass isn't at the point where like, I, I don't think everything that's happened is wrong. I'm just saying like, if Trump literally unleashed the military on citizens or, or something like that, you know, and there's a difference between the military and, and, and law enforcement, right? I just want everybody to be clear about that. But if all of a sudden, in Austin, Texas, the military killed somebody. I I feel like I would need to do something right away, you know, and I already feel like I, I need to do something because of, of everything that's happening. But I want everyone to understand that as a one hip hop artist and two educator, the biggest difference I think that I'm making is using my voice in my classroom and through my music, right? A lot of what I do is is socially conscious um, and borderline political. So it's just, we're, we're at the point right now, and I, 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 th- I think we should wrap up this part, part of the conversation because I think we, we, could, can, we could go for five hours, man, honestly. Um, we're at a point right now where... Everybody needs to do something, right? Whatever that is that you can do. So like going back to your words, unemotionally correct the problem, public uh, protest, self-examination. I think that a majority of the people that might listen to this podcast, the biggest thing you can do is have conversations with people that you need to talk with. There's this one, there's this family that that my sister's best friend's family, right? The oldest sibling of that family has, I I respect the the guy more than anything. I respect that family more than anything. White family from Dorchester. And he finally posted the other day, it's time to have a conversation. I'm ready to have it. He, He like retweeted something from Tommy Lauren and was just like, basically like, hey, this is stupid. Like, it's time we listen. And, and so many times, I don't know the guy well enough to like have met DM'd him or anything and be like, Hey man, like you're, you're, you're wrong. But like the people that you are close enough to have those conversations with, you need to have those conversations with and let them know that it's not okay. All the stuff that's been happening and that we, as as people that are not black are profiting off of off of a system that is inherently unfair and you need to be brave enough to have those conversations whether it's with your best friends or your best friends friends who are your acquaintances like and I'm I'm speaking from a personal experience and hearing people use the n word when I was younger I don't use it 
And I think it's disgusting when people use it, even jokingly. But I hear some people and I'm like, man, I don't know this person well enough to say something right now. But we have to be brave enough. And the next time that that if I witness micro racism, microaggressions, I will be I will be brave enough to say something in those moments. And I think that everybody out there that's hearing this right now, the next time you witness something that is that you know in your heart could be racist, just bring it up. Talk about it. And if it's not, you move on from it. And if that person isn't cool about it, then they probably weren't your friend in the first place. Maybe they are a racist. But you got to be able to at least bring it up and be comfortable bringing it up. Because it, it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. But you got to prepare yourself for that moment in which the person that you love and you're looking into their eyes and they're your friend that you've known since you were five years old, you're risking your friendship based on this conversation and if they don't say what you want to say to listen respond and show them that they're that the way that they're thinking is informed by 400 years of oppression and that they need to realize it's time to change shit it's not it's not a time to you be scared to ruin a relationship with someone who's a racist person you need to be brave and I, I'm, I'm talking to myself right now. You need to be brave and call people out on their bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, it reminds me of this book I finished today uh, called Tribe by Sebastian Younger, who was a, uh, a war correspondent. War, oh, voice is cracked. It's embarrassing. Uh, war correspondent, um, journalist. Uh, I think he helped direct Restrepo. It was a pretty popular documentary. But I'm paraphrasing here. One of the um, one part of his book, he talked about adulthood requires sacrifice, manhood requires courage. And mm. you know, you talked about courage there—the courage to confront others who, uh, in your heart, know are doing wrong, whether it's a you know micro wrong or a macro wrong, or the case may be because a micro wrong can lead to a macro wrong. Um, but I think the other part of that is is defining who your community is and who you want to bring that up that to, who bring that stuff up to. And yeah. I, I think the, the trouble is understanding that um, we, we have our smaller communities and and you know we're comfortable speaking to the people within those communities, but you know our, our larger community, our tribe, the name of the book is America, and you know for better or for worse, we're a community, and we've made concessions to live in this community, and we're the beneficiaries of a lot of positives in this community, a lot of positives, more so than many other places in the world. Um, but just because we're the beneficiaries of so many positives and, and a lot of, you know, some communities are, are bigger beneficiaries than others, as we've seen. Yeah. Um, we're still one community. And if, if your neighborhood isn't, isn't experiencing the same 
um, the same negatives, it doesn't mean that they're not in your community. And you have to be willing to have the courage, you have to have the courage to um, confront those negatives, you know, regardless, because, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's the unity I was talking about. It's an opportunity for unity is what this yeah. is. And, and our leadership, and like, our, as, leadership as a, our leadership needs to reflect that. And that, that's all I have to say. And I, I don't know if it is right now. It's not. I do know it's not. And what, like going back to the beginning of the conversation and, and your, your speech or whatever, whatever it is you want to call what you wrote. Everybody out there that's listening should want to be proud of the American flag and should be want should want to be proud of representing what America stands for. And if you think that the status quo is not okay, and you're currently not proud to represent the American flag, then go do something about it. Whether that's having those courageous conversations with people that you that that you know, whether that's publicly protesting, whether that's using your economic means to support organizations that will that are educated on the issue. And I would encourage people to go do their own research, right? The the one um company or organization that I'm looking at right now is Campaign Zero. And that's that's the one that was on the Simmons podcast today. And and I didn't first hear about it through Simmons. I heard about it through my my African American Hispanic uh friend in the hip hop community who was posting about it and Say that encouraging again. people to donate. Say that Campaign again. Zero. Campaign Zero. Campaign Zero. And as a call to action today, people need to do to do some do something that is positive. If, if this does not sit well with you, what's going on in our country, even if you never realized it before that this is an issue, like all the shit about Kaepernick and all these all these like I mean the 49ers tweeted something the other day. We did we don't stand with police brutality. It's like okay, like Kaepernick was trying to show you this those are words. five years ago. Those are words. What are you yeah, doing? Those are words. What are you asking? Yeah, what are you doing about what are you what are you doing about it? So I think that's a, that's that's just so so beautiful what you wrote, man. Because like your words are inspiring me to take action, and other people's words are inspiring me to take action. And what I'm gonna do is with once I, I haven't done all the research I need to do about Campaign Zero. I'm I'm doing more research. I'm reading. There's so many links, and when you go to that website, there it's it's very it it it's a lot. And I want to make sure that's the right organization for me to donate to, but I'm going to donate a day's wages. Um, one of my paychecks, I'm going to figure out what I make in a day and I'm going to donate it. And I'm going to ask other people to do the same. Like whatever you feel comfortable with donating, whether that's your time, your energy, or your money, donate to a cause that will help make this country become what it purports to be because right now the american flag is not something that i'm proud of not because I, not because i i am anti-america but i am anti what's happening in america and i hope other people feel the same way All right
you know, the the American flag represents an ideal, and it's a, a incumbent, as I said, incumbent upon us to uphold that in our current environment, and it is not being upheld. I don't think by our leadership, and there are those amongst us in our community that are not upholding it either, as evidenced on video. So, um, yeah, as I said, uh, as you may not be able to, you know, I'm not in a particular uh, place of influence. I don't know if I can change what's happening around me, but I know I can change myself. And I know what's in my world. I have influence or I have control over everything that I do. And as a result, I, and we should use that to try to influence the outcomes to the best of our ability because we have to take control of our actions as well as the outcomes. I think that's, that's part of leadership. It's yeah. taking control of all of it and reviewing it and seeing if the outcome wasn't what we wanted, then what can we do to change it? Yeah. From us as citizens to all the way to the top, to the president. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we have an opportunity for unity now, and, and I hope every individual takes it upon themselves to to do their best to inform themselves and strengthen our community, especially those, or at least inform yourself of not no not not at least um, inform yourself of the struggles and the suffering that others go through and make yourself a, um, a leader of your own life and try to um, first understand um, and then if not lead, then assist in the uh, to fight to, to combat that oppression. And I think Both we're still, I think we're still developing a strategy to do that. Um, you know, I think the first step is uh, that officers charged of an upgraded second degree murder. I think all four of the other officers who stood by complacent, and I think that's another topic to talk about, stood by complacent while the murder happened have all been charged. Um, that's the first step to understanding the consequences of such actions. Um, and then further from that, uh, enforcing policies and, as I said, trainings to, uh, to as much as you can mitigate the possibility of those, those situations occurring going forward. So uh, we are almost at 100 minutes now. So I think unless you want to say something, Greg, we'll put a, put a pin, not, not wrap it up, but at least put a pin in yeah. part one. Because as you said, I think we can do several parts of this. And that, that's, 
encouraging from my perspective because uh, I'm glad I didn't um, spill all my, my brain guts uh, in 100 minutes. I got more to talk about, so that's a good thing. Uh, but part two, make it a little lighter. Uh, I don't recall that incident where we smoked weed in the graveyard. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable saying that because a, I think the statute of limitations has ran out on that. So, <laughs> so let me, ramifications. but if you can paint that, if you can paint that picture for me a little bit better, yeah. I appreciate it. Okay. So um, it's freshman year, right? So I'm wearing my uh, black Reggie Bush, uh, New Orleans Saints Jersey, right? It's 2000, 2007. Um, first time I smoked weed, Spring of that year, 2007, in Costa Rica with my friend Zach Modest. Um, in Zach, so hot. Zach, so, Zach, the statue ran on you too, so you're good. Yeah, Zach, you're good, man. Um, Zach, Zach's my guy, man. I talk about Zach all the time. I wish I was still cool with like friends with that man. Like I'm always going to be cool with all the people I was friends with, but like one of those people you, you lose touch with. But I remember... I don't know if it was a graveyard, but I remember at that time when I smoked weed, everything started to look different than what it was. And I remember it was me, you, we were outside, bro. Do you remember this? We were outside. It was me, you, Mark, and some, there was a fourth person. I'm going to assume it was Jared. We were in nature. And we were in nature. We, we were in nature. Do you remember the, the night at least? Negative. <laughs> but... We smoked some weed. Um, I'm pretty sure we tried to figure out a way to get some booze. Um, I don't remember what was discussed, but I remember thinking, I like this I like this Matt McCumber kid. I like him a lot. Um, <laughs> and it was fun, man. We we were we were out there in Chestnut Hill, um, high as balls, and that was just uh, a harbinger of great things to come. Oh, good word. That, so there's the word of the day. I couldn't come up with it, but you came up with it. So I'm glad we were able to work in one one word of the day. Harbin Harbinger? Harbinger, yeah. I like it. I like it. Hey, can I can I ask you something real quick? What's your favorite word? Right now. Not like your favorite word of all time, oh. but like what word are you are you digging on these days? What word am I digging on these days? Uh I, I, no, I have a good one. Uh it's not it's two words. Um Pyrrhic war. P, okay. I, might, I might be spelling yeah. this wrong. P P Y double R double R H I C Pyrrhic War. Yep. But yep. it's yep. win the battle and lose the war. I guess is basically the meaning. Um, yeah. So not engaging in Pyrrhic wars, and that's the I re, I the reason why I know what it is because it was from the book that I just referenced that I finished today, Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Um, so that's. That's been a huge benefit of quarantine. Uh, I don't know if I read a book in a year, and I've read four books in the past couple months. So that's been a benefit. Um, yeah, and I I, th I think that's one of those things that um, people need to realize these days, man. Is we can't be having these pyrrhic victories, right? Whereas where you th you think that you won, and I'm speaking directly to the motherfucking president right now, who I've tweeted at multiple times to oh, meet me in the box, to meet me in the boxing ring, bro. 
put the gloves on, you old orange piece of shit, and let's he, box it out. He's got to fight Joe Biden first, and then he'll, then, then he'll face the champ champ. Upgrade okay, Marcus. fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, listen, I, I used to box in my basement against my brother and his friends. So, like, I'm ready. I'm ready, bro. So I'm ready for that shit. On that note, um, I also used to box my younger brother back when he was still smaller than me. And beat the shit out of him. So I take credit for he, he, how he's a beast. How he's a beast now, and all of his athletic accomplishments. I take credit for all of them because as I, you I, you know, I demolished him when we were younger. Uh, but uh, it, let, let, let me just say that. something. Your your younger brother is the motherfucking man, bro. Uh, At your by the way, by the way, for all the people out there, Matt just got married. This past was it September? September. Yeah. And this kid's brother, <laughs> the doofus that he is, gave one of the best best man speeches of all time, completely off the cuff, not reading off of anything. Oh, he big, was big... scared out of his fucking mind because he heard not to not to jump in and take away no, from your ahead, story. Ahead. But he heard my wife's sister give her uh, maid of honor, or I guess matron of honor is the right way to put it. She's married, matron of honor speech, and he told me immediately thought, "Oh shit, I should have written something down." <laughs> but that that that's him, bro. That's your that's your little brother. That's like that's the way he does shit. Like yeah, he he's yeah. he's an oh shit, I should have prepared better, <laughs> but I'm still gonna do this awesome because I'm just a charismatic six foot three motherfucker. Okay, he's six one. Let's dial it down a little bit. He's not that tall. All right. Tell, tell him I said I thought he was six three. I'll make him feel good. Yeah, I'm not going to tell him that because he feels way too good about himself as it is. So, my brother is very happy with being my brother. Not not being my brother, just being who he is. He's uh, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a man. He's, he's a man. No, he's a good guy. Um, yeah, on the boxing thing, uh, I will say that. I've been scared many times in my life. I don't know if I've ever been as scared, <laughs> and I've told this to you before, I, as I, when I, I, I have no idea what I said. Zero idea. I, th- I don't think I even said anything remotely <laughs> like insightful, I was, like inciting I was... violence or whatever. But <laughs> I said something, and it was—I'm pretty sure it was in your room in Wash. And no, it was, it was in. It was in. It was. I'm pretty sure it was in your room. Oh, good. It was. So in I, 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 I room with Trav, right? John were, was with Steve You, who was your roommate? No, I, I, I was I, Steve I was roommate with Steve in Walsh. Wait, so I live with Matt then? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Great. So I'm on home turf now. So I shouldn't. No, you know, no, we're bro. We were on the other side. So on our side, it yeah. was yeah. you and Steve, me and Matt, and then it was we were yeah we were in someone else's room then. We I think we were no we were in Jared's room. Wait, yeah, that makes sense. We're in Jared's room. Yeah. And I again, I said something totally innocuous from <laughs> from in my memory, and. Yeah. You, I don't know what it was, but you jumped, you were sitting down and you jumped up and my God, I, 
I, you know, I faced death in the eyes. I faced death in my <laughs> eyes, and I you saw did. death in your eyes. You did right there, yeah. and uh, yeah, that was so. Here, a here I, I, moment. I, I, do, do you have I any memory know. of that moment? I I don't know if I'm confusing two nights. I'm wondering. Oh, great! I'm glad this, this happened multiple times. That's great. No, 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 no. I, I'm the only time, like the time you're talking about. I remember that night, right, where I like literally picked you up by your shirt collar and walked you ten feet into a wall, right? Like that's no, basically what we're no, talking that, about. No, that was a different. I think I don't think you touched me in this one. <laughs> I think someone held. I think multiple people held you back. I think. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. This is, but uh, this is so I remember it as the night that you put roast beef in Jared's pillow. I put what? <laughs> you put like cold cuts or roast beef in Jared's pillow. <laughs> I do not remember this at all. But that's not saying a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I'm pretty a lot. sure it was. I'm pretty. I like. I in my mind, those nights are the same night. Where Jared <laughs> looks in his pillow, and there were oh, I vaguely cold cuts. I vaguely dude. remember this. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that like oh, sophomore year was wild. Yeah. Remember when Mark? Remember when the cops were you? Were you there when the cops showed up? Because Mark was selling weed, and he like kept all the weed in his um Clorox wipes box. Uh, I remember where he kept them. I don't remember that when the cops showed up. But, you don't remember that night? Maybe you weren't there, bro. It, probably, it's possible. I could have been drunk. Yeah. Probably was drunk. But there was there was one night where we were all hanging out. Remember how, like, we all used to joke about, like, be like, oh, shit, it's the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, so was like, that was like saying, look, it's Matt Ryan. Like, it was the same yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's one night where we're all hanging out in the – and maybe you weren't there that night. I, I I remember you being there though. Um, I was probably we in the common room. I was probably over Christmas. Yeah, probably. Probably <laughs> Crindy. You're 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 Crindy. at Crindy's. <laughs> you're at Crindy's, and <sighs> we're we're all stoned, bro. Like so fucking high, and somebody knocks at the door, right? And I think it was either Mark or Jared, and maybe it was Trav because Trav didn't smoke, right? He was just like, someone goes, oh, shit, it's the cops. And we all start, like, giggling to ourselves. Like, <laughs> like look at this, cops, man. And and then <laughs> and then it's like, boom, boom, oh. boom, boom. Oh, and we're shit. Like, Wait, what the fuck, right? And it's boom, boom, boom. The cop, and the cop, people keep banging. And we open the door. And we're all so fucking high. So remember, we lived on the bottom floor, yep. right, of Walsh. <laughs> like facing out into the street yeah. and we used to smoke weed and blow the smoke out the window in the common room. So that's what we were doing. We were blowing smoke out the window and the cops must've been walking by and smelt it. So they figured out which, which, uh, which dorm we were when they came in. And as we we're freaking out, we we're like, we need, we need to hide all of Mark's weed. Cause Mark was selling weed, but like we weren't drug dealers. Like Mark was like, but this is like going back to the whole situation of privilege like Mark was a drug dealer, but well, he wasn't a drug dealer. By, right? by strict definition of the term, he was, but you know, it was not he was really. selling to like five. He was, he he was, was selling college. to like five people. Yeah, he was selling to five people. He yeah. wasn't like a, a distributor. And 
I think he used to keep his weed in like one of his drawers underneath some shit, but like underneath like some Febreze stuff. But he, he ended up putting it in a Clorox, like underneath the Clorox wipes in a Clorox bottle. And I remember the cops coming through and like busting all of our balls and like literally picking up the Clorox wipe and like looking in it, but not seeing the weed. But it was pretty wild, man. <laughs> but going back to like the first time we ever smoked weed together, we were outside, we we're in Chestnut Hill. It probably wasn't a graveyard, but I mistook a common pebble for a gravestone. Sure. Um, that sounds like something I would do. As one and, would do. Uh, when they're yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we had some good times, man. We had some good times. Yeah, we sure did. The uh, We'll do one more story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we'll, wrap, we'll wrap it up. We'll, we got eight minutes, man. We'll wrap it up in two All hours. right. We're talking about suffering and how important it is to you know sacrifice and suffering and you know we don't have enough suffering in our lives day to day because you know of the great country we live in and all the privileges where some of us were afforded uh result that we don't have to work hard for food we go to the grocery store um so i think it's important to put yourself in intense situations of suffering whether it's working out really hard or you know whatever, whatever the case may be so an instance where I implemented uh, self-induced suffering at BC was, I think we were, I'm pretty sure we were at Granite Lakes. And this was either for your mom or your dad's birthday or for one of their anniversaries. But yeah, yeah. they stupidly allowed you to invite all of us, uh, yeah. which we obliged and came uh, as you know, great guests. And we were all sitting around a table and I remember my arch nemesis, uh, who shares his name with me, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll say his name, Matt Manning. Uh, he, oh, what the hell what, I, I was a fork or a knife or something, but he put some utensil over a candle and like, let it sit there for a minute, let it get hot and put it on his arm as a show <laughs> of, of, on his forearm. As a show, yeah. as a show of toughness, and I said to myself, "Oh, okay, motherfucker, I've done this before. I know I'm better <laughs> than you at this, at withstanding pain." So, because back in middle school, we the heaters. It was a wicked old school. The heaters, like, would just get insanely hot, and we'd do this thing. We would tape. Uh, the eraser part of the pencil to the quarter and then brand ourselves with the quarter because we thought we were cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, you know, dialed back to that. So, okay, I, I'm good at this. Uh, so I held whatever utensil was over that candle for substantially longer than he did and then proceeded to burn myself on my forearm. Uh, I then had like an inchworm on my arm, a bubble, from the burn <laughs> for a long time and I, I'm looking at the scar right now on my arm uh, from that burn so um, that's just how t I wanted to just describe to everybody how tough I am that I can hold a really, a really hot fork on my arm for a long time and then brag about it to all my friends um, so that's me doing really small things and bragging about them as if they're the best thing in the world. So, uh, anyway. <laughs>
Um, so I guess thank you to Greg for uh, taking the time, an hour and 15 minutes at this point. And hey, man, and I, I would talking love, to I would me. Love to do this again. I think we should do it again. I soon. think we will do it again soon while it's still fresh in our minds. Uh, and then hopefully do it again soon. I say hopefully, hope it's not a strategy, as I like to say, and other people love to, other people have said before, but you know, confidently and hopefully we can do this again when uh, we've all made the requisite changes in our lives and in our country uh, to move forward um, towards uh, a better America. So that being said, uh, obviously there are no sponsors for this podcast, but just to highlight. Well, hey, can, can can I show you? Can I share my sponsor of the night? Please do. So my sponsor of the night is uh, Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey. I have been sipping on this bottle since uh, the origins of this podcast. Um, I currently have. I would say a Matt McCumber-sized uh, penis version of alcohol, probably about like an inch and a half of alcohol left in the bottle. That's very and, that's uh, that's very generous. Thank you. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, shout out to Wild Turkey for uh, sponsoring my my inebriation tonight. I uh, appreciate them, and I appreciate all people who make things that get my brain fucked up. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and transition that uh towards my uh liquid uh courage and, and just supreme insulation this conversation uh bud light breakfast of champions hey. dinner of champions dessert yeah. of champions um yeah so that's number one number two is carrier cross i'm wearing a carrier cross hat right now we couldn't get video going because uh despite working in the tech industry I am not as adept at podcast tech as I should be, this being episode one. Uh, Carrier Cross, uh, the company founded uh, by uh, my brother-in-law and one of his friends. It's a, uh, I don't want to speak for them and I don't have their mission statement in front of me right now, but it's a, um, it's a company founded on living your life by, not just Christian morals, but I think morals that everyone should live by because I don't think the morals that they espouse are particular to any religion. Um, it's a really cool company, carryacrosslifestyle.com. Really cool. Also sponsored by Zinn right now um, because I am living a tobacco-free lifestyle, but nicotine has... Hey, hey nic- my guy. Nicotine, I think, has been proven by some people to be a uh, nootropic, so like a, a brain and cognitive stimulant. So that's good, hmm. um, and I hope those stories are correct. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so five uh, eleven tactical, always be prepared. Shirt I'm wearing. Um, pre- failing to prepare is failing. Is excuse me, that's the Bud Light talking. <laughs> failing to prepare <laughs> is preparing to fail. It's preparing to fail. So with that, uh, thank you, Greg. 